It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get gas flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter Series 4 Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it is in. Um, and Dale, we've got some cameras on us today, which is a bit extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, if we use them, right? Yeah, I mean, people might be listening to this going, where, where, where? I can't see it. I can't. Yeah. Well, that's probably a good that's, thing, frankly. Yeah, because we didn't like the look of it, so we didn't use it, right? Because me, me and Dale were like, considering we're the ones on it, uh, didn't want to film it. But, <laughs> but the handlers said, you must film this. It's the 21st century or some shit like that. What are we going to do? Should we talk COP28, Dale? Yeah. I noticed that the, <laughs> the, so the gift that keeps on giving, you know, politicians and some of these strange ca- COP28 leader says fossil fuels still have a role to play. Yeah. What uh, the hell is going on here? And I was thinking at the top of this, you know, uh, we, we called this series Fool's Gold. Uh, and, and for a good reason, I think. I mean, we, it's a reference to fossil fuels and, and there's no shortage of fossil fools in the news, uh, including yeah. this dude, right, who's like uh, the leader of some massive petrochemical company uh, in Dubai, I think it is. And uh, he got chosen as COP28 leader, quite controversially, I would say. You know, he's he's obviously the um, the poacher playing gamekeeper. Yep. And uh, yeah, then he comes out with this saying, look, fossil fuels have got a role to play, even though the uh, IEA, the International Energy uh, Agency, have said, you know, we have to stop exploring for new forms of fossil fuel. You know, this guy says, well, actually, you know, carbon capture could help us with that. Really, he wants to abdicate responsibility for the emissions that his fuels make. Uh, let somebody else have the job of sucking that out of the atmosphere and doing something with them. But, you know, the, we said this before. This is a technology that doesn't exist. It's incredibly expensive. It's unproven at scale. It's one of those yeah. kind of unicorn technologies that people that are in the fossil fuel business pin their hopes on and say, don't worry, direct air capture is coming. We can carry on burning fossil fuels. Oh, no, we can't. So his job is he's a petrochemical dude yeah that's why he leads a massive oil and gas company in the middle well, East. how do you get how do you, i mean maybe <laughs> maybe i'm just being a bit like maybe i'm missing something here. how do you get the job when they did the interviews for who's going to be uh, in charge of cop 28 would that not preclude you like on your initial application for what do you do for a living i run a massive petrochemical company sorry mate you're the wrong person for the job he should have, he should have been precluded for that i mean that's why it was controversial i mean all kinds of uh, people especially ngos as you might imagine uh, kicked off about this and said like you know wtf uh, but uh, john Kerry, i think it was from the us he said now nah, it's a brilliant appointment you know this guy's all about renewable energy or something it was just a bit like which is utterly shocking appointment <laughs> by any measure it's just completely nonsense it's demonstrably nonsensical i agree with you Who's the warm-up act? The man from BP. <laughs> and here he is showing his true colours, right? Yeah. Talking up fossil fuels. You're going to arrive in a Lamborghini to the uh, <laughs> before being taken by private jet to his next appointment. A coal-fired helicopter is what he needs, isn't it? Like me. 
It's exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Uh, well, yeah, that helicopter, that's, uh, that's not been mentioned for a while, your mythological helicopter. Yeah, no, maybe we slayed the myth. I think we did. Thank goodness. Uh, here's one from Joe. Says, Dale, long-time customer. Would you ever do collective ownership of wind turbines or renewable energy assets like Ripple have done? If not, why is this not a good idea? Well, I don't think it's a bad idea. Actually, quite a few people have had a go at it. And Can you explain the idea, Dale? What the, what, it's like a cooperative thing, right? Yeah, that's right. It's where people can buy shares in a windmill or a solar farm or something like that, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's yeah. nice to give people the chance to, like, uh, ha- have that part. Uh, obviously, just works for people that have cash and, and not, not the people that, that don't. Uh, nothing wrong with that. That's how shares in companies work. I don't think it's the best way for us to operate because we we plow the proceeds from all of our work back into our mission every year. So it's it's not the best way for us, but I've seen it uh, work for other people. Nothing wrong with it. We issued eco bonds a few years ago. We've had about four rounds of them. That was a different way to give people uh, a kind of a stake in the game, as it were. Uh, these are bonds that pay yep. a simple interest rate every year. We use the money to build renewable energy projects. But, you know, I think it's also for it. courses, lots of different ways to do this. Uh, here's one. Shell reports stronger than expected uh, profits. I think this is on the back of the aforementioned BP profits, isn't it? Yeah. But Shell have uh, thrown out, I think, the greatest profits in history or something. Yeah. 10 billion quid in three months this year so far. <laughs> so mad they don't know what to do with it. Usual story. I mean, that's just so much money, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like some naive prick here, but that is 10 billion that's pounds. A lot of money in three months. Is right? there not a point where they go, you know, we've actually got too much money? Yeah, and, and not a point at which governments around the world say, do you know what? There's a case here for a windfall tax because those are windfall profits that come off the back of extortionately high energy bills that have been paid around the world. I mean, there's a direct link between incredibly high retail energy bills and incredibly high producer profits, and we should sort that out. Yeah. Well, you might think so, but for some reason, these stories, they, they kind of come and go. Don't you get the BP one, you get the Shell one and a couple of the others, and then you know, we, we debate it. We debate it on television and radio, and a couple of newspaper columnists talk about it, and then nothing happens, and it just gets kind of kicked into the long grass until the next profit comes in, which is usually more than the previous profit. And the conversation starts again, and then nothing happens, and the whole thing goes full circle once more. Yeah, and it's because, I mean, in our country, at least, because our government are, you know, pretty much in bed with the oil and gas sector, uh, and they did, mm. you know, eventually introduce a, a windfall tax. They called it something else, uh, and actually it didn't do the job very well. It allowed something like a 90 or 95% exemption from the tax for reinvestment in fossil fuels, exactly the thing we don't need. So it's a pretty lame attempt, and it obviously hasn't dented profits from any of the oil majors. So uh, it is what it is. Nothing on that front will change until the election yeah, comes. Indeed. Uh, Barclays AGM says that the world is another big company saying the same old thing. Uh, but the Barclays annual general meeting has said the world cannot function without fossil fuels. There you go, Dale. There was you thinking it can. And despite all your kind of years of working in this area and knowing your, your territory, Barclays have usurped you and told us the truth the world 
can function without fossil fuels. It's impossible, said the man that works in a bank. Yeah, the leader of the bank said that at the AGM, and he acknowledged that the IAA, International Energy Agency, have said we have to stop looking for new forms of fossil fuels, obviously, right. to keep within one and a half degrees, all that kind of stuff. He said it's more nuanced than that, is what he explained to his audience, which is a bit patronizing, to be honest, uh, because it's not nuanced at all. You know, we have to stop looking for new forms of fossil fuel and rapidly transition. And he's just another apologist because he's making shed loads of money. Barclays are lending a lot of money in the oil and gas sector. Mm. They're restricting their, their lending to the coal sector. So, you know, big whoop. They're at least like, uh, you know, acknowledging there is an issue there. But, you know, it's just another argument for another kind of 10 or 20 years of business as usual. And uh, it's, it's not acceptable. A lot of activists tried to disrupt the AGM, by the way, as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so they should, because the banks are basically uh, financing the climate crisis. And we shouldn't allow that to happen. Yeah. And it's kind of all interlinked as well. When you look at the big profits of the, 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 the companies we just talked about, the oil companies, then, you know, you can't completely remove one from the other in that respect. No, no. Banks make monster profits too. Yeah. Hi, I'm Mike Graham from Talk TV, and I've been asked to tell you about green issues and a new book called Manifesto. It's brilliant, apparently. Do you believe in climate change? I don't. Do you believe we all need to find a greener way of living our lives? No, I don't either. I think it's all a load of guff perpetuated by loony lefties and eco-zealots hell-bent on causing a nuisance. Do you believe we're all killing our beautiful planet? No. Neither do I, but I know a fellow who does. His name's Dale Vince. He's so convinced he's written a whole book about it called Manifesto. The Battle for Green Britain. It's part memoir, part handbook for changing the world and shaking it up, apparently. I won't be buying it, but you can if you want to waste your hard-earned cash. It's $4.99. Pretty cheap, isn't it? You must be wealthy as hell. According to this script, it's available now from fgr.co.uk forward slash shop. Great question from Hannah, who says, uh, Dale, uh, if you could make one single change to environmental policy overnight, what would it be? Fire the dude from COP28. That <laughs> yeah. might be a start. I'd sack this government, but I don't think necessarily that falls into the category of environment yeah. policy, although arguably it does. Do you know the one thing I would do is unban onshore wind because it's so cheap, so fast. Uh, the only thing holding it back is the planning ban, and, and it would make a massive difference in our country. What happened to that? This is How many times have we talked about this, where Rishi Sunak didn't ban it, but he hasn't unbanned it? Is that yeah. roughly right? I think that's his MO, right? He doesn't do something, but he doesn't not do something so that he doesn't upset Correct. anybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's, he's down the middle. What will a Labour government do when this all kind of check? Because if, if you look at every poll at the moment, then it's going to be a Labour government. It's just a case of how convincing that that victory would be. It seems. I know things can change, but let's assume uh, there is an outright Labour government come the next election, roughly eighteen months away or thereabouts. What will Keir Starmer? Do, or how confident are you that Keir Starmer will do something that will be so tangibly different, an absolute bold move in the direction you want to go? Do you think that's going to happen? Because there are some people, certainly on the left, a lot of the the Corbynites are very cynical and skeptical as to whether Starmer will deliver. Yeah, and not just them, really. I mean, a lot of people in the country, you know, kind of same thing. Oh, I'm not sure about Labour and I'm not sure about Keir and that kind of stuff. It kind of frustrates me. You know, I want to throw my hands up in in kind of shock, really, and, and say, guys, you know, you may not be sure about Labour, but you can be sure about the Tories. Look what they've done in the last 13 years. It'll be 15 by the time the election comes. Look at what they've done on the environment. Everything 
pulling in the wrong direction. We know what we'll get with another Tory government. So for Christ's sake, a Labour government has to be better. And it's the only option we have, Labour or Tory, right? We have to vote Labour. We have to get them in. And we have to have some yeah. faith. I have a lot of faith, actually, that they will make big changes, like unbanning onshore wind. I think they will ban exploration for new forms of oil and gas in the North Sea as well, making just up oil redundant overnight, You know, which would be a great thing. Yeah. I think they'll do bigger things than that as well. But you know, for anybody with any doubts, I just say, look at the alternative. We've had the alternative now for so long. And, and I mean, it's killing us, literally and, and uh, metaphorically. It's killing us. We have to change that. But I know you've answered this before, but pe uh, some people would say, well, what about the Green Party then? Because you absolutely know where you stand there. They will do all of those things. They will do more than all of those things. They will pretty much tick every box you've ever wanted ticked overnight. Yeah, but they can't win. Our electoral yeah. system... Uh, precludes that, right? Only one of two parties can win. I mean, the Tories win with 40% of the popular vote. They get an 80-seat majority. That's how, I don't know, crooked our democracy is, that it allows that. So it'll be really quite something if Labour are able to win, and Labour need yeah. every vote they can possibly get. Uh, you know, anybody that doesn't vote for Labour is voting for the Tories. It's broadly that simple. There will be places where tactical voting works, uh, and, I, and yep. I'm all for that as well. But we have to get the Tories out. We have no chance. But you've been, which brings us to another story as well. You've, you've had a bit of criticism from, frankly, all the right people in the sense <laughs> that, like you give a shit, um, the right-wing media and some Tory MPs got very, very upset because you've donated money to, well, to Just Stop All, but also the, the Labour Party in particular. Mm. Um, for some reason, that's annoyed some people. I don't know whether they think we're living in North Korea or something where you're not allowed to donate <laughs> money, but um, who knows? But you've definitely upset some people that I'm sure you're quite happy you've upset, though. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not a new story. It got regurgitated last weekend. I saw, when I th by the way, on that point, when I saw it, I thought, hang on, this is like yeah. eight months old, this story. Why is, why is this in the papers again? Yeah. So like a whole bunch of right-wing papers and, and uh, media outlets ran this story. And, and yeah. I'm not sure they're really angry, these Tory MPs. I think it's just, a, it's just an excuse to have a go at bashing Labour. They're looking for anything to pin on Keir and the Labour Party, are obviously afraid of the polls. I mean, do the Tories really want to get into a debate about who finances political parties? I doubt that. No, I that would be a very illuminating discussion. Yeah, I think. It would be indeed. What I think is happening is they're trying to uh, associate Labour with Just Stop Oil because they are, uh, let's say, relatively unpopular. Certainly the, the right-wing media are working hard to make them unpopular. I think they're trying to tie here and Labour into that via me, which is a bit silly, really, you know, because I give them some money and I give Labour some money and, and all, all kinds of other people as well, as I've explained before. And so there's nothing really going on here. They're just trying to make a fuss. I think, you know, increasingly as, as the election approaches, I think that, you know, th this is where the divide will be. I think the Tories are going to say the, uh, the net zero is unaffordable, that Labour wants to go too fast, along with the eco-activists like Just Stop Oil that they'll try and associate them with. And this is where the gap in, in, uh, in manifestos will come. The Tories will be all about the, uh, the long transition and, uh, and Labour will be about the more rapid one. On that point, Pat on Twitter says, the Tories say you should hand back your donations. Uh, what? <laughs> I don't know why they would say, why? It's, I mean, it's just a classic donation thing, isn't it? When, when there is a scandal, a genuine one about funding, then the issue is, well, you should give it back. But of course, this is not a genuine one. I mean, Keir's quite clear. He, uh, he disagrees with what Just Up Oil do. I'm quite clear. I agree with what Just Up mm. Oil do. And, and essentially, the, you know, I'm, I'm the glue in, in between 
between these two, uh, as the story goes, in that I fund both. There's no issue there, uh, you know, because, well, there just isn't. But that's how desperate the right-wing media is to find something to attack here in Labour with. Uh, here's one that I was surprised to read. Major UN report says that veganism cannot easily provide some vital nutrients. Uh, so that's the headline. Um, now, firstly, let's just declare this up front. You've been a vegan for about 500 years, <laughs> and you're you're still alive, Dave. So I'm assuming that there's, there's clearly a flaw in their conclusion here yeah. based on you and me talking right now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I think there are a lot of flaws. I had a quick read of the report, and, and it pulls together policy from a lot of different countries of the world as well as a bunch of scientific reports. It seemed to me very focused on UN sustainability goals and the issue of um, nutrition for people in parts of the world where it's hard to grow crops. So one of the points they made there was that um, – where it's hard to grow crops, eating animals is a good substitute and, and a good way to prevent stunting and, and other kind of malnutrition-related uh, issues in young people globally. And and kind of like, you know, there's there's merit in that for sure, but it's, this report has been like um, gleefully grasped, I would say, by elements of the right-wing media to, to make a point that vegan diets are somehow deficient. Yeah. Here, here's an example. In the report, it points out that vitamin B12 is hard to find in a vegan diet other than in seaweed, Therefore, that's why we need to eat meat. They seem unaware that something like 96% of all of the B12 that's man-made in the world is fed to animals because animals don't actually make it. Uh, they get it from living outdoors. And because you know, 99% of animals in the, the meat industry don't live outdoors, yeah. they actually are deficient in B12 themselves. So they seemed unaware of the fact that B12 is made in factories, not made in animals. I've told you this before, Doug. When I was uh, a vegetarian early 20s, uh, which was no hassle at all, wasn't a problem. And my mate's mum had a go at me about this because she was going to refuse to cook me food that didn't include meat. And she said, these were her words, I don't care what anybody says, she said, uh, there is something in meat you need. You've only, got, you've only got to look at a lion. This was her evidence. She said, anything that big or strong needs meat. And I just went gorilla. gorilla. And she said, what? Yeah. I said, gorilla. She said, what are you talking about? I said, gorilla. It's big and f***ing strong and it doesn't eat meat. Yeah. So that kind of ended the... Uh, it's the gorilla the in the room, right? The gorilla in the room. The gorilla. Oh, yeah, I should yeah. say that. It is the gorilla. <laughs> it is the gorilla in the room. Yeah. Uh, here's one from Louise on Facebook. Are you worried about 5G and smart meters? Why are you happy to back both? I, I don't understand the question, but I'm sure you do, Dale. Yeah. So, look, I'm not a phone user per se, right? I haven't really had a phone for a very long time. I got one recently just to like, uh, well, for personal reasons, right? But for like 10 years, I haven't had a phone. So I never really understood the fuss people were making about 4G and 5G. If you look at the science behind it, it's, it's a different frequency uh, of radiation coming out of the phone. It's not any more harmful than 4G, 3G, 1G, or even all the pre-G stuff, which started mm. in the 90s. And it's one of those kind of like, uh, almost like one of the conspiracy theories on the internet. 5G. And in fact, there's a lot of conspiracy wo uh, woven into the opposition there's to 5G. Absolutely. Smart meter is just the same. A smart meter has a SIM yeah. in it, like a phone has in it. The difference is you hold a phone up to your ear and a smart meter might be like 10 meters away. And that makes a very big difference in terms of the radiation your brain receives. So a phone is worse for yep. you than a smart meter. But the fuss made about smart meters is incredible health-wise. And also then the conspiracy stuff about how the government's going to pry into your energy consumption. Like that's something that would uh, give up some secrets, right? I mean, who knows? Who knows? 
I think smart meters are a good thing. I mean, they're called smart meters, but all they really do is uh, is give real-time information in terms of consumption. So the dumb meters just uh, record your total consumption, and then what time of day you've used that is is fabricated. It's just made up. Yeah. Uh, whereas a smart meter would give you a real-time actual use of consumption. Businesses have had them forever, right? Big businesses, yeah. uh, but, but not domestic. I, I think, honestly, both of them are a lot of fuss about nothing. Neil uh, asks me why have I not got an electric car yet. <laughs> How have I got a question in this? We've been doing this three years. I've never had a question, Dale. Uh, I, I, I sit here and ask you the questions, and now I've got a question. Uh, have I considered an electric car? Yeah, I've absolutely considered an electric car. T- to be honest, it's a little bit about choice at the moment, about getting the right kind of car, but the choice, I think you'd back this up, Dale, is now bigger than it's ever been and getting bigger. Yeah, big time. Mad amount of choice and just more coming. And the range now, the new normal range is around about 300 miles, which is incredible. Yep. Uh, the price is dropping. The lifetime ownership cost is already far lower than a conventional car. Um, you know, the revolution's well underway. Indeed. And a final one, uh, which goes back to the issue of food, but this is about desserts uh, because a load of desserts, sort of like Cabris stuff, had to be like their crunches and their flake desserts had to be recalled over listeria concerns sounds pretty damn grim no i like this one a bit of listeria hysteria never hurt anybody right (laughs) (laughs) because better safe than sorry so i was amused by this story i mean partly because it makes the point again that animal products are not safe they're prone to infection uh, and to poisoning us. Also, I like the fact that the the manufacturer put out a statement saying there was nothing to be afraid of in all of their other products. There was there was no contagion. There was nothing similar. Everything was fine, and they were now having a uh, uh, an intensive investigation. And that seemed to me to be a bit ass about face, right? Because they haven't had the investigation, uh, and yet they're assuring everybody that it's limited to this one product, this this one dessert. They don't know that because they didn't know it was in that one dessert until they found out. And they haven't had the investigation yet. But they're saying to everybody, don't worry, there's nothing going on. Everything's safe. Meanwhile, we're going to have a good look at it. It's the wrong way around. There it is. That's it, Dale. We're <laughs> speaking a week. All right. Yeah, fab. <laughs> Cheers in. Have a good one. <laughs> I had a letter from Rishi Sunak today. How, how have you just managed to mention no, that at the very end that the Prime Minister has written I to forgot. you? What did he say? I forgot. I got, I got an envelope that said number 10 Downing Street written right across the back. I thought, hello, what's this all about? And um, in it, there's a letter. It's actually from his assistant saying, uh, Rishi's very uh, grateful for the book, Manifesto, stuff like that. <laughs> and come round for a cup of tea and yeah, a time you like dessert. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, I'll take him one. <laughs> he's, got, he's got the full range on offer. <laughs> Uh, we'll speak next week, Dale. Yeah, cheers in. See you. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there too. And if you want to get in touch, zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. Really important bit, follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, and on Insta and TikTok too. Zero Carbon East Off.